This podcast is in no way affiliated with the Stars Production or Diana Gabaldone. All views expressed are solely our own. Welcome to the Outlander Podcast, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Welcome to episode 278 of the Outlander Podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Summer, and we are in love with all things Outlander. Do we have any announcements this week? Hey, y'all, we survived Christmas. Ah, yes, we did. We survived, we survived Christmas. Christmas and Wilmington. Oh, right? Uh, on good the God, same, y'all. almost the same day. Same, And we survived like our, our um, live video on a Wednesday. That was different. And it is almost 2019. Oy vey. Let's, let's take a, a moment of silence for 2018. No, let's not, because may it never come again. We we don't get me wrong. We had some great we had some great opportunities and some fun stuff in the last few years that I I would not wish away. But overall, I don't even say overall, but for for many people, and that includes us in some capacity, at least part of the last few years. Not every single month, and definitely not every day. There's been a lot of... It's been a rough year. It's been tough. It's been tough. Like, I had a great 2016, 2017, and the end of 2016 and 2017, like, shoved it up the rear, or maybe I don't want to say that, but I took it to the face a lot, or took it to the chin. I don't know what... That sounds even worse. You didn't take it to the face. That's a porno thing, (laughs) and you definitely didn't do that. I meant, like, take one on Uh the chin, but, like, I was hit. Yeah, you shouldn't take it on the chin either. Don't let them do it in your face. Don't ever let it anywhere in your face. Neck down. Only neck down. The combination of the last three years has been really difficult. It has ups and downs, like any normal year, like any life. But, yeah, I am not unhappy that 2018 is going. So that's our announcement. (laughs) Ready? You're crappy at this. Yes. I'm really crappy at it. That's why I don't don't prepare for announcements. You're like, tell me the announcements. And then I give you some ideas of announcements. And then you're like, and put it on my face. (laughs) (laughs) That has to stay in because that's too funny. Oh, Lord. Yet more evidence that summer is funny on purpose. I am funny. Not all the time on accident, but usually on accident. And it's usually from some kind of gaffe like I just made. Oh, Lord. So... First up, feedback from 408 Wilmington. And you guys had some stuff to say. Could we have renamed it Rapington? Oh, Lord. You did? I said, could we? Just uh, No, that's not, a, that's not appropriate. Okay, fine. First up is Linda G. Hi, Ginger and Shimmer. Some of you have been... <laughs> Shimmer, I like it. <laughs> Linda G. from San Francisco Bay Area here. Okay. Jamie and Claire's on-screen love seems excellente. Roger and Brie, improvement needed. It's their first time. Did you notice how they recycled the line from Abe Malcolm? Jamie said to Claire, you are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. Would that be a grunge? Because Roger said the same thing to Brianna. Maybe. I guess Roger thinks now that he's her husband, he can boss her around. I think not. I would have not left her alone as quick as he did. I myself would have loved a little more emotion between Murtaugh and Fergus, but maybe there'll be another scene with them too. As always, Claire at her best. Jamie, oh my God, he is like fine wine, better with age. 
I just love seeing that man on screen. Yep, I'm a dirty old lady. <laughs> love this episode. Lizzie, you got some planning to do. And that racing. Good Lord, can you imagine in this day and age, what would happen to those people in the room who did nothing? <sighs> I had to take a deep breath after that one. Anyhow, thank you so much for making my Christmas brighter with your podcast, and thank you for taking the time out to entertain us. I hope we get to entertain you once in a while. Merry Christmas, and as always, I can't wait for the next episode. Bye. Linda G., in case you couldn't tell from our snorts and and snickers, that's not a bad word, is it? Snickers. Snickers really satisfy. (laughs) Oh, I think I, I don't want to say it again in case I'm wrong. Um, but in case you couldn't tell from our noises we made. Yes, you guys many times quite often uh, entertain us quite often. Let me make sure if I'm just making this up. Okay, so apparently there is a word and I wasn't just making it up. Oh, that's funny. Sniggering is a word, but you have to pronounce it right. <laughs> right. And not like draw it out. Right. Um, according to MiriamWebster.com. It is a word, S-N-I-G-G-E-R. Even spelling that out is a little uncomfortable. Snigger is to snicker. That's the worst description ever. That's what it says. <laughs> to say that's terrible. So I guess snicker is safer. You guys definitely entertain us. We're entertained in the group, on social media, um, in email many times, on our show by by what people send in, like your feedback. So we totally appreciate it. Believe me, although this started as a hobby, labor of love, it still is both. We, I, I can't speak for Summer, but I, I think I can a little bit. I don't think we could have maintained it for so long, let alone weekly. So five years or weekly without, actually over five years now, some without not just having fun, but also being entertained, right? So us talking and like Summer makes me laugh and I make her laugh again, I'm usually on accident. She's usually just like a snide remark and whatever. But even with each other, I still, because I can, I can go to dinner or lunch with her and we can make each other laugh in the same manners because that's our personalities, right? That's who we are. So I can get summer any old time. Not any old time. For the most part. You need to book time with me. (laughs) Well, we need to book time with each other now. (laughs) We <laughs> we need to book time. With, excuse me. I mean, yeah, sometimes depending on like going an outing or whatever. But as long as someone's home, you know, I can pop over. She can pop over. We don't, but we could ostensibly. All that to say, she she is in a gated community. I can't pop over. <laughs> she could see what I'm saying. We could be having this chat over text, over phone, or whatever, and she'd make me laugh. And it, dude, she laughed at me just today at you, not with you. Well, I think both actually. Anyway, so it's we could it's very easy for us to get a rise out of each other and for us to laugh at each other. Hopefully, mostly, mostly in a we are in being entertained manner. But oh my gosh, if you guys didn't bring joy, laughter, all the things to us in some capacity, because we don't depend on you guys to prov- provide everything, obviously. But if we didn't get something back. Or feel that you guys appreciated it. And I don't mean like stroking our egos. That's not what I mean. But, you know, if you didn't express that, um, that you like something, even that you dislike something, but engage in some way, that is what we we really like the most. So, yes, in feedback as well. But we definitely are entertained by you guys. Are you entertained, Sam? I am entertained. But I was just thinking. Uh-oh. 
I, you should be scared. Don't break. I was ju- I was just thinking <laughs> that you know how we expect all of our well, we request that all of our listener feedback people keep it to about 90 seconds. We request, yes. I would also request that perhaps you, Ginger, keep your responses to listener <laughs> feedback to 90 seconds. <laughs> if wishes or, or fishes. For horses. If, if wishes, wishes were wishes, horses, what is that phrase? If wishes were horses, then peasants would ride. There you go. <laughs> if wishes were fishes. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Me either. It just rhymes. <laughs> that's not always an indicative thing. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Okay. That would be great, wouldn't it? Next up is Martina P. Hello. This is Martina calling in Calling in on episode 408. Wilmington. It was another great hour of television in my mind. I love to see Jamie and Claire working as a team, and they do so brilliantly in this episode and also looking fabulous in the process. It was so good to see Fergus and Marcelly again, and I would love to see more of them. I really miss them. They are probably the most uncomplicated couple with the best hair in the show. What a cute scene with Jamie and Claire just stopping by and visiting. They're grandparents now. Did she just say best hair? <laughs> it was a short scene, but I really adored it. Now, does Masali and Fergus not know about Brianna? It appeared to me that way. What do you think? I know in the books they find out in um, Voyager, but here I'm not sure. Claire and Masali preparing lunch? Lunch, was that even a word in the 1800s? Gosh, it's fun to nitpick, isn't it? Roger and Brianna scenes with the reunion and the hand fasting were just lovely. The ensuing fight I didn't care for. I didn't like it in the books, and I even like it less here. Didn't Roger try to call her when the roommate answered the phone and informed him that she was in Scotland? Wasn't that phone call the reason for telling her? And I don't understand why he doesn't even mention it to Brianna that he was trying to contact her. And I don't understand why they make Roger look like a complete jerk. He's pouting and storming off. I hope it will resolve in the next episode. And I can't for the life of me figure out what purpose and meaning the ring will have now. The ring that comes at such a high price for Priyana. And I sure hope they will not dedicate it to Pri to wear. What an awful memory this would represent. Well, surprise me out then, the writers. I am terribly excited for episode four or nine. Is it Sunday yet? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Martina P. Next up, Eileen P. Hi, Ginger and Shimmer. This is Eileen P. from Melville, New York. In this episode, Roger and Brianna's story is an emotional roller coaster. Such exhilarating highs and gut-wrenching lows. There was such joy when Roger finally found Brianna. And it's not just Roger who is joyful. Brianna is thrilled to see him until she remembers that it was not part of her plan for him to follow her. Bree, Bree, Bree. I'm rolling my eyes right now. That's right, Roger. Her bloody plan. Yep, you're up and then you're down. Brianna declares her love for Roger. We're up again. And kissing ensues. But they have to work things out. Can they have sex without marriage? 
That's a no for Roger. We think all is lost, but wait. Brianna agrees to marry the man who followed her through 200 years. Yay, the big romantic gesture worked. They're getting married. But wait, there's no priest. All's good. They'll be handfasted. Well, that's done. And they immediately start removing clothes. On to the sex. At this point, I would like to point out that the shed is the 18th century version of glamping. Nice roaring fire, bales of something with a luxurious sheepskin thrown over it. It's a very romantic scene. We get the afterglow. And then, since it's Roger and Brianna, we get the fight which of course gets blown out of proportion and they always think it needs to end their relationship. I'm rolling my eyes again. These two need couples counseling to learn how to work out their disagreements. That's all I'm saying, except I really love roller coasters. Now on to the truly lowest part of the episode, Brianna's rape by Bonnet. I think it was made more horrifying by seeing no one come to her aid. This is not something that is limited to the present. I read that Sophie Skelton had researched tonic immobility and had filmed the rape demonstrating this, but the decision was made to not show the rape, but to show the bystanders who could hear the rape yet did nothing. I hope that we do see glimpses of the rape in flashbacks as Brianna should be suffering from PTSD in future episodes. I have no tear prick rating for Brianna's rape. It was way beyond tear prick. You can't have a tear prick with horror. (laughs) Well, I don't disagree, but I just remember that I forgot. I've been forgetting like for two episodes now about for 408 definitely. And I think, I think even for 407, I forgot to ask ourselves about that. So I will add that to my thing now. I didn't have any tear pricks. I had outrage. If you want to know, Wilmington, outrage. Next up, Michael M. Howdy, Ginger. Howdy, Summer. Howdy, fellow members of Team Shimmer. This is Michael from Shawnee, Kansas, with my feedback for Outlander, episode 408. I will begin with production. Earlier this season, I have heard of issues with Jamie's haircut. I've seen him with his hair pulled back and also with his hair loose. I have failed to see what the issue is. In season two, I did think that his Bastille beard was a bit odd. And if I recall, Shimmer called it a merkin. Totally. When Roger and Bree are just outside the pub, I noticed Bree's wig. Set up trap place. In the previous (laughs) podcast, this was used to describe the place where Murtaugh was waiting for the carriage containing the contested tax collection. Ginger, is the word you were seeking ambush? (laughs) <laughs> and lastly, the magic shed. Was the location of Roger and Bree's hand-passing a shed, or was it really a shack? Did the two shed up in there? I will say that their honeymoon suite was a shack, and not just any shack. It was the... You knew it! You knew it! <laughs> Set up trap place is probably the best. I, I didn't know it. You didn't that... know Love Shack was coming? No. I didn't read the transcript said, that was sent was, to It us. was a shack. 
but it was, uh, I'm like, come on, you know, he gives music or clips. And as soon as he said Shaq, and you know, they like did the, all the things there. I'm like, he's going to share Love Shaq. <laughs> I mean, oh, you and he are clearly on the same wavelength. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say about, about that. that. <laughs> oh, Lord. But the place, yeah, the place where the amb, uh, see, it wasn't really an ambush, was it? I guess it was supposed it to be an been. ambush. It would have been an ambush had they, you know, tripped it. But an ambush is when you attack something. It was going to be, it was a setup. An ambush is like if the if the carriage was going to stop and the guy's waiting, well, I guess the guy is waiting in the in the bushes that would have been the they he, if they, they were, were waiting not in the trojan horse for f sake or is that a trojan carriage anyway that's 408 let's go on next up is sandy hi ginger and summer this is sandy from oregon i'm calling to give my feedback for episode 408 wilmington i really liked this episode a lot i think there was a lot of good things and of course the last 10 minutes were bad but they were really good for the story and i think where it's going and how they did it really is a good thing and they're going to take us where we're going by the end of the season very nicely. My first comment is about where's Ian. I think what they're doing is they're setting up his connection with the Cherokee, which is obviously going to become an issue later down the road. Won't say anything more. I think the way that they did Bree's rape at the end was really, really moving and it was horrifying and I think it was very potent to the viewer. I think they couldn't have done it any other way. They had to have that storyline, and we'll find out why soon. Um, maybe we'll see some of that episode that they filmed of her during maybe some PTSD flashbacks, because I believe they said they were going to incorporate that very strongly into her recovery, the PTSD. Uh, I also wanted to say not only is Lizzie gigantic, but she apparently is also very healthy, unless they're going to still introduce malaria down the road. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And one of the things that made me giggle the most was when they tried to, the doctor showed up to talk about blowing tobacco smoke up the man's rectum to solve his hernia problem. That made me giggle to no end. And then I had an epiphany. Let me look that up. To blow smoke up one's ass actually originated in the 1700s as a legitimate form of medical treatment, also known as the tobacco enema. I'm going to include the link that I found. It's very, very funny and very interesting at the same time to see what the origin of this actual phrase that we use quite often today came from. And I also had a side note about Claire at the theater uh, flashing back to episode from an episode from season three when she had to quote look pretty for the when you meet the boss with Frank she seemed much happier looking pretty at the theater with Jamie than she did when she was with Frank meeting all of his bosses at Harvard that's my take on 408 for now thanks and have a Merry Christmas thanks Sandy there were a lot of good things in there and I wouldn't be surprised if and maybe this is what you were actually saying but blowing smoke up the rear shortened i'm guessing shortened to you're blowing smoke right right and the blowing smoke the only the only amazing place to blow smoke is up someone's ass clearly so i'm guessing the phrase turned from legit supposedly legit or accepted legit treatment to then absurd treatment because otherwise it wouldn't have changed its meaning right and we'd still be doing it next up rochelle d Hi again, this is Rochelle D from Seattle, just um, wanting to 
finish my thought on the ring switch up. In the book, Brianna doesn't have any problems identifying the gold ring because it's wider than most rings and that's unusual. And the candlelight from the table shines on the ring and she can actually see that there's an inscription inside. And so she interrupts Bonnet during in his game because she's passing through the tavern to get some tea for sick Lizzie. The fact that they've created another ring, I feel like, makes Brianna's not really voluntary sacrifice, but what she goes through to get that ring back now that that's Jamie and Claire's ring and not Frank's ring, it's just, I, it's confusing. And plus, there's another ring that's been made. So originally in the book, I felt like there was some depth um, to her wanting to get, you know, Frank and Claire's ring back, like that she was moving forward trying to find her father, that she was still having trouble, you know, letting go of Frank. And here we have, you know, that it's the silver ring. So, you know, it's kind of she's moved on from Frank, you know, somewhat, but they've dealt with that in the show. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of meaning <laughs> that ring takes on in coming episodes. So, anyways, thanks. I love your podcast. It helps me keep my sanity at work. Bye. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks so much for listening. My favorite part of listener feedback is that we are a week ahead, a week ahead of the listener feedback. So everyone's like, I wonder how that's going to play into blah, blah, blah. And we're like, we know now. <laughs> and they know now. <laughs> they do know now. Because <laughs> again, time podcasting is a little bit like time travel, but not necessarily in anyone's favor. <laughs> Last but not least, Rebecca. My name is Rebecca. I'm from California. And this is my first time doing one of these for the podcast. So I was talking about their fight. As a non-book reader, um, their fight came off really weird. It felt very choppy and like there was a total miscommunication because Roger started off right away like not telling the truth because I had literally just watched, I believe it's the episode Common Ground. Was, yeah, because Savages is right after. Um, so Common Ground was literally showing that whole storyline uh, showing us everything with Brianna and Roger. So um, what they were fighting about literally didn't happen, basically, on some level. Like, Roger, it, it he did sit on it, but I think you're right. It's because the dates thing isn't on there. Because it's just weird. Because I was like, wait a minute, Roger, like, you actually did end up calling her and she was already gone. So, what are you doing? Why are you saying weird stuff that doesn't make sense? And this came out of nowhere. Like, why are you calling your child? Or, like, wait a minute. I'd, I probably didn't really catch everything that they were fighting about, though, because it felt so random. It just was really weird, and I was basically talking to them the whole time. Like, no, 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 this is exactly what happened. You both are... There's a total misunderstanding. Let me tell you what happened in the episode. Like three episodes before okay and um yeah I don't know I thought their fight was really weird I just I didn't like it at all I just thought it was really pointless actually I, I really thought it was stupid everything going on with Murta is kind of weird I don't know if I'm still really digging that storyline 
I like that Murta's back, but it's kind of like, I don't understand. I mean, I get what he's doing. I understand why Murta's doing what he's doing. I just don't see the point in the storyline, per se. I kind of, I don't know. I feel like it's causing unnecessary tension between Jamie and him. Like, it didn't actually need to happen. That's partly how it feels for me anyway. And I haven't actually really noticed anything with Ian until people started saying it. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, wow, he's not actually in this episode. And people are really upset by it. Like, Ian's not here, blur. And I was like, I'm not really noticing that, you know, oh, he's gone. He, he went to go visit the Indians and whatever else. It's okay. Like, to me, it was kind of like when people were, like, flipping out that um, Jenny wasn't in Rabbit Hole, you know. I was kind of like, oh, she's off delivering a baby. It's fine. <laughs> like, you're seeing your uncle, Ian. It's okay. Like, I don't know, but everyone was, like, freaking out. And I think it's because, obviously, it's because of the book readers. Yeah. Um, excited for the next episode. Bye. Thanks, Rebecca. That's funny. We've gotten a few comments, um, not about Ian, but about other things. And I'm sure we're not the only ones to have said something or... Uh, mentioned something in some medium, but we've gotten comments or heard people say similar things along the lines of, hey, I didn't notice X until people started, people started complaining or mentioning X. Now I see X and it's bothering me. Seriously. <laughs> Summer, you said that to me about something. And I'm not saying I caused it, although I may have. It was the anything, anything. Oh, yes. But you but you said that you didn't get that notice. I didn't me. until everyone started complaining about it. And then I was like, oh, God, they're totally right. I hate everyone right now. <laughs> so they pulled you out of your comfort. They did. The, the space I was living in that didn't care about it all of a sudden really cared about it. So thanks and stop. OK, well, I have good news. We don't have to care about it right now. All right, it is time for our discussion of episode 409 entitled The Birds and the Bees. And I would like to say that the title card was Strawberry Blossoms and Bees. Hmm. Strawberries meaning phrasers. Yes, that's very cool. I did not, I noticed the bees, obviously. I did not notice the You didn't the notice the flowers? Awesome. Oh my God, clearly you don't garden enough. You don't garden enough. Of course not. So before we go further... The writers are Tony Graffia and Matt B. Roberts. But before we go further than that, I left my <laughs> notes. Huh, hang on. I left my notes at work again, two weeks in a row. So I am working. She's winning at life purely, right now. Purely on memory. And I'm relying on Ginger to jog my memory of what happens in the episode. Which well, I, I know I she will because she's amazing. Pretty like detailed that. Notes, I'm sure so you did. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll actually have a lot. I'm to not say. sure you did. I'm absolutely 100% positive you did. <laughs> okay, so the writers were Tony Graffia and Matt Roberts. So we know that there is likely to be lots of book and at least a few tears. You guys, the robot cried this week. Uh oh. Start, start, stop it. Start, start, stop it. Stop it. Uh I mean, I you haven't are... gotten more specific than that. I'm just saying. Hold on. Hold on. I don't mean like spoilers. They've already watched. Poo, poo, poo on that. Pshaw. The director is David Moore. I'm not sure that we've no heard of him before. So on the tear sprick, tear sprick, the tear prick scale from robot to faith, where were you? I will say that I cried more in this episode than I did for print shop. 
I, I believe it. Print shop, I loved. It was effective. But this was a much more moving reunion episode for me, personally. And I think I have an idea as to why. When it just hit me just now, but I won't say it until a little bit later when it actually comes up the first time. But I'm curious if you think it had any effect on you. I can tell you why if you want me to know. Sure. The reason I think that it affected me more is is a very personal reason, but it's because I'm a single mom of a daughter who never sees her father in person. Mm. And I was envisioning what that must be like. I mean, granted, she Skypes with him every week, once a week. He's not 200 years behind us. No, he's not 200 years behind. And they do have ways of interacting with each other. But it was knowing how much she misses that interaction in her life. I was envisioning within myself what that must have felt like for Brie to Mm. meet her father, her biological father for this first time. And that was really moving and a little bit painful for me. Don't do it, Shimmer. I'm doing nothing. I'm just telling you. I told you I'd tell you. And that is not at all. I mean, I could have guessed it if I could have thought like applicable life reasons. I could have. That's all I have is applicable life reasons. (laughs) Fair enough. But what do I have is what I'm saying. I could have thought about like a life circumstance, like why something would have made you cry because of the content and how it could relate to you. But I wasn't thinking of the content. Obviously, we're going to talk about it. But I was thinking of something very specific, which I'll mention when it comes up. Okay, so as Summer said, opening title card is Bees in a Flower, right? Specifically of Strawberry Blossom. So I thought, okay, ready, go forward. I'm like, wait a second. Are there maybe, even if they were not all intended, and even if it's just a little bit of ginger, like... It's always a little bit of ginger. <laughs> Especially it's when it's your of- notes. Oh, Lord. That's all ginger. Even if it's a little bit of ginger, like reading something a little bit, Ted, a smidge, smudge too far. Even if it's me potentially reading something a little bit too much into something. So I thought, what are some of the layers of this title card? Besides, obviously, what we saw. Annette Summer just like threw me a side curveball. So I don't know how you um, didn't know that the strawberry flowers, like the I flowers before the strawberries. I mean, I looked, but I saw the bee and I thought, okay, that's cute. So that's one layer that I didn't even have. There's the the Fraser connection. There's the literal, literal reference to the title, right? Birds and the bees. Here's, sorry, yeah, birds and the bees. And here's the bee. And there are a few birds that show up as well. One is a robin feeding her young, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And the other is there's an owl. I remember, okay, I don't remember the owl, but I do remember the robin feeding the young. And I was like, ooh, spring. We're fully sprung yeah. in spring and fertility. Those exactly. are the things that all came to my brain when I saw that. So that was a lot of information. So layers, potential layers. The literal one, there are bees in this title card. And there's not birds there, but there's the literal right there. Then there's reference to Jamie and Bree's chat and trip to catch bees. That's not, I mean, it's related because of the word bees. I'm making a connection here. It may not be perfect. And then, however unintentional, there's a reference potentially to book nine. Go tell the bees that I am gone. Can we step back for a second? Step back and a little bit forward. So the bees, and I don't remember the bees that showed in the title card. 
title card. I'm pretty sure the bees they showed in the title card were honeybees. However, when Bree and Jamie went bee hunting, the first bee that they spotted was not a honeybee at all. That was like a bumblebee, like one of the big fatties. And then he was like, we'll follow it to see if he leads us to the the nest or the hive. And I was like, that giant bumblebee is not going to lead you to honey, my friend. I thought that was a really strange choice. Did you notice that at all? Or was that just me? I didn't look at the type of bee. So just as Jamie is so knowledgeable and careful about moving bees to a new home, so he, as a Celt, would have knowledge about other aspects of dealing with and living with bees. I cut this down a lot, I promise, but I did a little, a little, just just one search, I promise, um, about the the phrase, the practice, the act of literally called telling the bees. And this is all a quote. In the 19th century New England, it was held to be essential to whisper to beehives of a loved one's death. While most common in the 19th century, the practice of telling the bees about significant life events endures, albeit in a different form to the present day. The practice of telling the bees may have its origins in Celtic mythology, where the presence of a bee after the death of a signified the soul leaving the body, but the tradition appears to have been most prominent in the 18th and 19th centuries in the U.S. and Western Europe. The ritual involves notifying honeybees of major events in the beekeeper's life, such as a death or marriage. While the traditions varied from country to country, telling the bees always involved notifying the insects of a death in the family so that the bees could share in the morning. This generally entailed draping each hive with black crepe or some other shred of black. It was required that the sad news be delivered to each hive individually by knocking once and then verbally relaying the tale of sorrow. The consequences of not telling the bees could be dire. Bees might get sickly or even die if not able to properly mourn. Unquote. So that's severely, it's all direct quote, but it is staggered from it. It's not like four paragraphs in a row or anything. And I will provide that. That's a JSTOR article. I will provide a link in the show notes. That is actually probably more applicable to book nine, which we don't have yet, but which Diana has uh, explained the title. However, I thought it was interesting. Besides collecting the, the honey, the honeybees during this episode, they also mentioned or this article also mentioned it wasn't just telling the bees when someone died. It was telling the bees of significant news, such as um, a death or a marriage. And I thought, huh, that come along with, as Summer said, it's spring, all the bebes. And now we know Brie has a bebe to come. Oh, my goodness. So we open on the streets of Wilmington, then onto the tavern. We return to Brie literally right after the assault. She's entering her shared room with Lizzie, who isn't sleeping and who is anxious for her. She says, Brianna says, it's fine, Lizzie. And I wrote, OMG, the tear pricks. Like it was from the moment she stepped back. Yes, it's, I was horrified, obviously, because this is seconds after the, the rape. But I'm also like, and I, I get it. She doesn't want to be touched. But Lizzie, I, I, feel, I did feel bad for Lizzie. But her putting her off and being standoffish. Oh, my gosh. That was gut wrenching. Here's the thing, though. Until she started undressing or until Lizzie noticed her bloody nose and the undressing, until that moment, it was... It could have been too much for the two of them. Like they were close, but maybe they weren't that close. So I don't think that it was too weird for Brie to be like, go away. It's fine. Go to sleep. 
But then, you know, it became more of a, I'm in my own place right now. I can't deal with your version of my trauma. I am being traumatized right now. I can't, I can only care for myself. I can't deal with you and your needs right now, which is a whole nother step in that. But there was, there was so much. It was such a beautifully played scene. It was honest, to be honest. The content was not fun, but I thought it was one of the better scenes of that. The, the episode was great. I don't have any complaints, but I thought out of all the wonderful scenes, it was probably one of the best played. I agree. But did you see the callback to that scene when she and Claire were alone and she hit that basket over that had like the tinctures, the little little bundles of like tea or whatever they were in the cheesecloth. She knocked him down. And when she knocked him down, she stood up and immediately her hand went to her nose. I did notice the nose. I didn't think about the blood, but I did think, wow. To me, it felt like, because she literally reached up and touched her nose. And it felt to me that she was having that moment of like hiding her reaction to the things that are happening around her and, and concealing the things. It was, it was a callback to that moment after after the rape where she didn't want to talk about it and you know her chastising herself about being clumsy and being called on it by her mom being like what's going on are you okay and she she like touched her face like she was perhaps bleeding and then stood up which to me was a callback to trauma 100% so she says or asks her were you with that man Brianna says Ugh. yes oh my god this scene also it's gutting and cutting that bear uses strains from the Roger and Brie love theme here girl that you is, know I didn't hear that I All didn't I, ask you if you did I know the gutting and cutting things for me were the fact that at any point in time I understand I understand that Brie was in the depths of her lowest traumatic moment and she doesn't know how to deal with what just happened to her However, had she taken two seconds to say it, it was not the man because she just said, were you with that man? Uh, and she said, yes. yes. Had she taken another second to state, yes, it was hurt, but it was not by the man you yeah. think it was. We could have moved past some of the ugly we stuff that comes for the episode. End of the episode. <laughs> episode. Yes, absolutely. So we need it. It's annoying and it's very frustrating, but we need it because it's in the book. I mean, it's majorly in the book, but oh, Lordy have mercy. So Lizzie is asking her questions like at this point, I'm like, I felt bad for Lizzie at first, but Lizzie just wouldn't effing stop. I'm like, if she like falls on the ground or literally can't get something on or off, by all means, assist her. But if you've asked her once or twice something and she's like, no, Lizzie, go to bed. No, Lizzie, I'm fine. I'm just like, maybe just step back. <laughs> Brianna is, she undresses and she's cleaning herself and she's shaking and she won't let Lizzie help her undress. And she goes, she says, go to bed, Lizzie. And even now as her skirt falls, a bastardized that's my word obviously no one else's a, a very much different version of the love theme plays i'm like damn bear you're taking this to a really mean awful place <laughs> as she's cleaning herself up from the rape you're playing her love theme isn't that wonderful but here's what i'm gonna know when she started stripping her clothes off and had the wide shot with the bloody shift, that was one thing. But two, when they started exposing all the bruises, did you not start trying to imagine even further than you did last week when it was happening? What happened? Like, did he slam her into the corner of the desk? What happened to create all of this? It was a lot, but that made it worse, right? 
Lizzie sees the blood on Bree's petticoats. As Bree takes off her shirt, we see the marring on her back. And that's as as Summer was saying, I thought, dude, did Bonnet like beat her on her back? I legit don't understand those marks. Were they from struggling against him while on the table? I don't mean to be weird, but things like, I mean, yes, we saw her slapper so, or puncher, backhander. We, we understand where the bloody nose comes from. We understand where the bloody petticoats, like we understand all of that and we understand her shaking. But we don't know what he did to mar her back like that. I'm assuming from the looks of it that she was pushed into a table or into the ground or something. But that's, I mean, that's literally almost as bad as last week, only letting us listen to the rape and not see it. So we don't know what happened and we're imagining the worst again. So as she washes herself, as I said, again, the love theme continues to play. She gets into bed with Lizzie and we see Roger's bracelet on her arm. That was very, I mean, I know it's part of her costume, but that was, it wasn't like so far under the pillow that we couldn't see it. So that was strategic. Lizzie asks, did he hurt you? Brianna answers, Lizzie, please, please go to sleep. So the next day, we see Roger entering the same tavern. The keeper says to Roger that when Roger asks that he hadn't seen the ladies that morning, they must still be in their chambers. And Bonnet, I want to know, is Bonnet still there or is he again there? Who knows? But he's having breakfast. Bonnet sees Roger and invites him to sit down. And in another change, not a problem, this is, or I should say adaptation, in another adaptation from the book, but one that makes a lot of sense, Roger is basically forced to return to the Gloriana. In the books, he was done with Bonnet because Wilmington was the final port of call. Bree left the, had left the shed room first, and even after in the book, but ev- and even after the fight, he left to go get gems for their travel back. And she was fully aware of this. It wasn't just a one line in this whole bunch of fight thing. And as it, and she expected him or hoped that once he was done getting the gems, he would find her on the ridge. I feel they had to create a reason why he didn't stay. So, and because they didn't give him the gemstone treasure hunt, he had to find a reason to get back on the boat, which was the conscription, right? Well, I wouldn't say conscription. He vol- he was not conscripted. He jo- He willingly joined. He willingly joined under duress, like under the threat of limb. No, that was, I wouldn't say joining. He willingly joined in Scotland. He left the port or he left a stop early. Bonnet inferred that there were stops before Wilmington. He never stated that Wilmington was not the last stop. So he could have been pressed into work or convinced to be a member of said crew without having all of the knowledge beforehand. That's what I'm stating. Uh, it's very possible that he kept something from him. We never hear never it. made it clear that Wilmington wasn't the last stop. He did say there were four stops of port between Scotland and Wilmington, but he never stated that Wilmington wasn't the last stop and that's what he would be expected to perform upon. So that was, I mean, that was the other thing. It was left out by the writers, or I should say the dialogue, but he was never lied to. I put it that way. He left because he because she told him to. Agreed. And he got on a boat and he's heading back to Scotland. So she has no expectation 
that he's going to be in the colonies or back looking for her. So at no point will she ever be at the point, be at the moment where she's like, where is he? I've been waiting for him. Have you looked for him? I haven't finished yet. So what I just summarized was the book. So here in the adaptation, Roger left first, a little bit in a huff, let's be honest. We don't know what he did the night before between leaving Brianna and showing up here at breakfast time with bon- breakfast with Bonnet. But the next morning, we can clearly see breakfast with Bonnet. He has returned for her and was not going to run out on her. The only thing I think that smells a little bit off is that she's still upstairs. I mean, it works out. I'm not throwing shade on that. If she'd left at dawn or something, then I can see the rest of the Roger story happening, meaning the way it is in the adaptation. For him to know she's there, I'm not sure I completely buy that he wouldn't at least go up to her immediately, at least to check on her. He obviously can't leave because Bonnet's like forcing him to go with him. But before he went over to Bonnet and Bonnet's like, come here, have breakfast, he could have gone one second and run upstairs. Maybe unlikely, but it's a possibility because he knows she's there. Even even less than that, all he needed to do was to write her a letter. Oh, that or was that. longer yeah. than that was longer than tell her I came here. Exactly. Because telling her you were there doesn't indicate anything. It doesn't state, hey, I have to get back on the boat. It's going to Philadelphia. I'm coming back. Please wait for me. All he had to say was this is what happened. I'll be back as soon as I can. I'll find you on Fraser Ridge. Right. And he didn't do any of that. He left. He left his note with the barkeep audibly like he's like, tell her I was here. And he's lucky that dude remembered him. He's lucky that the dude remember him, remembered him when he showed up and said, the girl I was talking to yesterday, is she still here? Yes. And he could have, I, I think even though he was being a, like a meanie about it, right? By forcing him to continue or, I mean, honestly, if that truly was the bargain and he just didn't want to do it, or even if he didn't know, but if it was truly the bargain, then like him or not, and I don't think anyone does, Bonnet have had every right. It was cruel the way he did it, but to fulfill his obligation, Bonnet had a right to a certain extent to make sure he finished his work. However, I'm not saying I like Bonnet, but I think even though Bonnet was being a dumb nut, if Roger had, I agree with you, Summer, if Roger had said something like, okay, 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 I'm coming with you. Give me one minute to leave a note. Bonnet would have, he would have said, you've got two minutes. You know what I mean? Bonnet didn't appear to be in any kind of hurry. He was leisurely eating his breakfast. I feel like Roger could have taken He either would have had time to go upstairs really quickly and say peekaboo or to write a note. He's never getting upstairs because that is the anonymity of the person who paid for the night in the room. He's not going to get up there regardless of the time period. I think that's a status quo, right? We can't go upstairs and barge into the room of a paying customer. I mean, it's not likely, but I'm saying he knows that she's there. He does know that he's there. The barkeep said she's still there. The barkeep said she's upstairs. I haven't seen her yet. She's probably still in bed. The barkeep said that. So we all know she's there, but I don't know if he didn't want Bonner to see her for his own reasons or 
And there's lots of reasons, but he I should have he taken five seconds to write a note at a people's business. And he's like, you asked me a direct question. I'm going to answer your question. I'm not going to offer any more information and I'm not going to help you. You know what I mean? I knew it would be really awkward, really awkward and weird for Bonnet to be downstairs having breakfast and Roger to be saying, just a minute, I had to go upstairs and say hi to someone. I mean, that that whole scenario, not only would it not allow us to have the conflict and the stuff we need for the rest of the season to go on, it it just that that would be really awkward and, and odd. But like I said, he could have said, give me a few minutes either to Bonnet to go upstairs or to Bonnet to write a message. I think that's a good point. It's also, I thought, an added tragedy. Again, Tony is known for this. It's an added tragedy. Again, Tony is known for this, of the situation that when she and Lizzie come down later, the keeper, the innkeeper, the tavern owner, whatever, confirms to them that indeed Roger had come back for her. So something... No, but he also knew not only had he come back for her, but he left with all the people. They got in the boat and he knew the name of the boat and that they all went to the dock. Like he had, he had, like, I was super impressed with that, like, tavern keeper for knowing all of that. Like, think of all the things people say to him in the course of the day. And he remembered that. That was a lot. Bonnet tells him, tells Roger that he'll be paid once they get to Philadelphia. And then he says limb or lass take your lass and lose a limb or keep your limb come with us and leave your lass i think we needed more information tell me more about the limb i have to lose because if we're talking about like a pinky if it's a pinky finger i mean if it was a thumb hell no but like a pinky finger i can't think of anything other than having dignified tea that a pinky is necessary for in a last minute save roger leaves a breadcrumb and tells the keeper Tell the young woman I was here. Later that morning or later that day, it's, a, it's afternoon, that's all we know. Lizzie is up and dressed. She ain't no lazy servant. Bree is all Claire hair as she wakes up past the noon bells. And she sees Lizzie folding the soiled petticoats, the cleaned, but clean soiled petticoats. She says, you didn't have to wash them. I don't want you to exert yourself. You've been ill. And my reaction was, What? She's been ill? How come we haven't seen this? <laughs> this is my first thing is like, <gasps> we might get the malaria. And of course, later on, we don't get the actual diagnosis because we don't see her. Well, we get Claire's guess, right? Because at that point, Claire hadn't seen her. But she says, sounds like malaria. So basically, they took care of the malaria in this one line. <laughs> no, they did. I feel like there were so many... This episode traveled so swiftly over so many key important things to make sure they were included. And we know that from the moment they met to the moment the episode ended, it had been two months. We know for a fact that two months went by in the course of this episode. Bree says that she's regarding the soiled, clean soiled petticoats. She still has plenty of clothing. And she wants to get to Cross Creek ASAP. Not only plenty of clothing, I'm never going to wear that again. I'm never wearing that again. Yeah. Which is how I feel. Which means she has plenty of clothing because as we found out from our research and visitor friends who's been guests on the show, clothing was something you did not 
you did not throw away. It was you just didn't. too However, difficult to get. However, the larger issue that I took away from that was if she's not going to wear that petticoat or that shift or whatever you want to call it, she's not going to wear that <laughs> ring. Uh-huh. There have been guessings of people stating that with the extra ring on the oh, ridge. that it might be that, used that for something else. might be perhaps used. And I was like, hell no, she's not going to wear that ring. There's no way she is going to wear that ring. There's no way anyone we'll in see. that family can wear that ring in a feasible way. I mean, they might, but there's no way that I will ever accept the fact that the ring, sh- the ring she was raped for is anything she would use as a wedding ring. And the ring that her daughter was raped for is a ring that she would continue to wear for her own ring. So I don't know how they will ever reuse There's that There's more ring. meaning to the ring than rape. There is, but that is the immediate. But I understand if Brianna does not. But Claire's not going to give Brianna a ring with the inscription of what, Damizia Bella, whatever it says. No, because that's weird. That's what I'm saying. The gold ring is not going to go to Brianna because even though it's, it, it represents her mother and father, that's a little freaky town. And the new ring is not going to go to her because that was made for Claire. It's the book ring. It's the one that we should have heard from the beginner. If you're going to go this far, we already said this. If you're going to wait till season four to make right something that was that, as we, as you said, as we both agreed that you made a choice and didn't stick with. uh, Yeah. We'll have to see how they handle the third ring or the second ring, the second ring. So she's got plenty of clothing. She wants to get to Cross Creek ASAP. Lizzie disagrees. And she says, "Uh uh-uh, we got to get to Fraser's Ridge. I've got to find my mom. Downstairs, Brie is uber sensitive. I mean, you can see the way she's walking. She like flinches so easily. She's definitely, definitely already feeling that PTSD. She asks the keeper about Roger and says, and the, the, the Roger, the Roger says, the keeper says, that he asked after her, and then that he left with the crew of the Gloriana. She runs out to the ship, like, right away, and the music here is the swelling of the Roger and Brie love theme, and a bystander, an onlooker, um, lets her know that the ship left that morning. As she turns to go back to the tavern, Lizzie is running out to find her, quote, You'll be glad I'm no lady when you hear what I'm to tell you next, unquote. Lizzie got their provisions and then started chatting up a but Scottish didn't you dude feel like that street. was a little bit, a little bit of It was a little bit grange. Come on. It was grange, but it was also foreshadowing for what book readers know Lizzie becomes. You'll be glad I'm not a lady. We all know she's not a lady. Okay, you needed to stop right there. They, or Lizzie continues, they chatted about Scots in North Carolina and how some are doing well for themselves. And here's where the theater nonsense comes in. Claire had made a show of herself and people remembered her. She stood out. Well, I mean, I think she always does. Quote, when the wife of a Scotsman acted as a surgeon and cut a man open to heal him, unquote. Oh my gosh, the tear pricks right at this moment. It was so, 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 so much. Our, oh man. You know, I didn't answer the question that you did earlier about the robot to faith. And you said you had, you cried, but you weren't at faith, right? It was not, it was definitely not robot, but I literally had moments of like abbreviated weeping. Lizzie continues, quote, he assured me that the husband of the surgeon, was of good Scottish stock, a Mr. Fraser. 
unquote. And she relays that Mr. Fraser is over by McCabe's just now. McCabe's just now. And the two women go real quick. Bree runs up to McCabe's and asks, have you seen a tall redheaded Scotsman? And from this moment, because Lizzie was not involved in her finding Jamie in the book, but it's okay. We'll take it. But I'm just saying from this moment on, when she says those line, I just said, this is like a page or three dialogue wise is straight from the book. And it is just like, Oh, I can't, can't handle it again. She says, have you seen a tall redheaded Scotsman? The man answers. I, he was here. He went around the back. And then we see, (laughs) Oh, just now I get a tear break. Just thinking about this. I want to know if people really expected Jamie to be peeing, (laughs) but here's what I want to know. Ginger. I don't want to know about people. I want to know about you because you were so concerned last week about the peeing. Well, the peeing is part of the the meet and greet, right? Yes. But it was you were so concerned about the meeting not being what you expected from the book. Oh, not emotionally, but as people. And I said, calm down, wait for it. I think they can still do all the book things with Claire and Jamie being in Wilmington, just because they're both in Wilmington doesn't mean they're both together all the time, which means she could still meet Jamie first, which she did. So I think I think that even with the adaptation of them both being in, in Wilmington, that they did all of the things they needed to to have the book realized, in my opinion. I just said that. I was concerned. I wasn't upset. I was concerned. Yes. So when we see the stream of urine... I I wrote in all caps, he's peeing. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Brianna comes around the corner and slowly approaches him. He finishes quickly. He's like, okay, there's someone standing over my shoulder. I'm fine, I'll just tuck this bad boy in. Did you just call his cock a bad boy? Huh? Did you just call Jamie Fraser's cock a bad boy? Apparently, yes. He says to her, what do you want here, Lassie? And she says, You. Uh, and he says, mistaken I identity. I know. It was luscious. He says, sorry, lass. I'm a married man. I'm a merit man. And then she puts her hand on him. And I love that the camera, like you didn't, I don't think you saw her face. I think you just saw her hand on him. And I, I was like, oh, that's it. That's it. That's perfection. No. And then he immediately went to, because he's such a spy. Do you have a message for me? No, that was a little bit later. So she puts her hand on him. That killed me. And he says, I meant it. I have a wife. Then Bree says, you're Jamie Fraser. And then he gets a little wary. And he says, I am. Who asks? The music here is so hopeful and rushing to culminate in something. It's waiting to climax. And then he says, have you a message for me, lass? And then as the camera focuses in on her face, we get the line that we have been waiting. I don't even know how many freaking years for. My name is Brianna. I'm your daughter. And then I recognize that this swirly music that is just all up and everything that I can't decide where to go is the Jamie and Claire love theme. Are you sure? Or is it the Jamie and Brie love theme? Because when they went hunting, there was a whole new thing. Stop it. Stop. He Am says, I wrong? I don't hear theme. I'm asking you. <laughs> did you hear that there was perhaps a new theme when they went hunting together? No. 
I'll tell you about that when we get there. Uh, I, I, I know I what you're talking you about. so much right now. <laughs> well, we're not there. Because I'm f***ing with you. I'm f***ing with you. And you're like, no, no, no. I have notes about that later. <laughs> oh, so you're totally taking the piss? Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, there's no freaking Jamie and Brie theme, you nasty Yet. girl. Yet, Bear, if you're listening, <laughs> Ginger requires a Jamie and Brie theme. No, I don't want that. That's gross. So, he says, Why is it gross? Can't they have a fatherly, daughterly no, theme? No, they're not allowed to. Sexy times. You're weird. Ew, stop it. So, it's the Jamie and Claire love theme. And he says, Brianna... Is it true? It's you? And she says, it's me. And then in the middle of all this Jamie and Claire love theme, which makes sense because it's their love uh, child-ish, among all this, we hear the specifically from the Roger and Brie theme, it's the 561. So remember, one is the tonic or the dough, and it's the 561 of the Brie and Roger theme in the midst of right over the Jamie and Claire theme. And she says, can't you tell? He says, I, I, I can. And I thought of you as grown. Had you in my mind somehow as a wee bairn, always as my babe, never expected. And, and he cuts off. And right here, the Jamie and Claire love theme slams into us. She falls, whoo, she falls into his arms. What sobbing. the F was that? Don't do that. That was inappropriate. That made me uncomfortable. Please never make she that noise again. She falls into his arms Ugh. sobbing. I know, but this this hurt my feelings a lot just because, and, and I'll tell you why it hurt my feelings. Because as a child myself, I know that when I've been in trouble in any other forum, like school, life, whatever, it hurts my feelings and I'm upset about it. But when I go home and I tell my parents about it, the telling of it to my parents makes it so much more tragic and I am instantly weeping. So, for instance, I got fired from a job when I was like Oh, I remember 20, this. Yes. 20 or 21. And they fired me and I walked out. I was like, cool, have a nice day. And then I got to my car, I got to my car and I called my parents and my mom's like, Hey, what's up? And I was like, instantly when I heard my mom's voice, I was pouring tears out of my face and just like sobbing sobbing because I had to tell my mom and that was worse than anything else. Right. So I can imagine that this is the first interaction and the first touching she's had, mm. voluntary touching she's had with anyone since her rape. And it's her father who she's never met, who she desperately, even though she doesn't know it yet, wants to have a connection with. And it's that moment of you're the first person I've connected with since I was so horribly violated. And I and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to say that my being fired from a position when I was 21 is the same as being violated but it was really horrific anyway that's interesting because i i definitely 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 get that i agree and i understand um two things that you just brought to my mind okay so you're right it's the first time and that's not a very long time it hasn't even been a full 24 hours right but it's the first time since her rape, since she is that she is willingly touching another human, right? And not only that, but a human she's never met. 
So there's that. That's what you're saying. Well, let's think about it. I think it's actually the first time. It's that and it's also the first time she's not only willing to, willingly touching someone, but being hugged by someone who at this point, I'm not saying later on it won't develop, who at this point is a source of unconditional love since her mom left her. And so you add together this, oh my gosh, it's this long lost, like I'm meeting my bio dad for the first time, the one that my mom, I mean, let's just be real here. I love Claire and Jamie and I love Brie. I'd never have said that before. I do like Brie. I, I I really appreciate Brie. I think now, especially, I think earlier than I appreciate her in the books, I didn't truly appreciate her to like book six. In this, in the adaptation, I appreciate her in the last few episodes. I, I really do. So there's there's feeling bad for her, you know, as a human, as as a victim, definitely. But even though, okay, sorry, Ginger, back up. So when Claire leaves her, and no one likes to say this. I don't like to say this, but we have to be honest. Yes, Claire waited till Brianna was over 18. I get it. And I think that was like a good thing. But she chose Jamie over their daughter. You just have to, not that her daughter needed her as much as she did when she was 10. She continually chose Brie over Jamie. She continually chose Brie over Jamie for the entire time. I agree. Until she was told... Jamie is still alive. You can get to him. And then she didn't leave until Bree said, go. If you don't go, I will go myself. I didn't say there was no conflict. And I didn't say there was no justifiable reason. And I'm not saying she left her high and dry. I know. I'm saying I'm saying she never chose Jamie over Bree. Ever. Ever. She only chose Jamie when Bree said, go to him or I will go myself. Yes. When she felt... A little nudge or acceptance, however you want to call it, from her daughter. Right. And her daughter would never have felt that until she took her to Scotland. And between her and Roger, they found the evidence of Jamie still being alive. I respect your opinion. And I 100% see, 100% see how and why you say that. Maybe the wrong preposition, the preposition was wrong. Maybe not over. Because it wasn't an equal scenario like, you know, like you said, for those 20 years or 18, 20 years, not only did she, I don't even know if you could say she chose Brie over Jamie for a long time, or maybe even for almost 20 years. It wasn't even a matter of choosing anyone over anyone because for all intents and purposes, he was dead. So if someone's dead or you believe them to be dead, there is no choice. What was she going to do? Return? to stay with Jenny. You know what I mean? But that's the whole point. Until she found out that Jamie was still alive, there were no choices to be made. So she never, and even when she found out that Jamie was alive, she didn't choose Jamie over Bree. There was the choice. She had the moment to think, should I do this? Should I not do this? And then at the end, it culminated in Bree saying, if you don't go, I will. He has to know. He has to know that what he did mattered and that I'm here because of what he chose. Yes, I agree. So I think it's interesting, not only what you said about how so, I mean, it is pretty soon, but it's the first time she's willingly 
touched and allowed someone to touch her since her rape. It's also, I think, the first time, because at this moment, obviously, well, just because you love someone unconditionally doesn't mean you won't have a spat or two. However, they're so new in their relationship, she and Roger, even though she's never met Jamie, <laughs> once they're clear to each other who they are, it's like that instantaneous acceptance and unconditional love. Does it mean that they won't have spats? Does it mean that they'll have an easy time getting to know each other? As we know, there are things to come. But just like Summer said, when it's your daddy or your mommy and you have let alone even if you hadn't been through a rape or something you know some kind of tragedy or some kind of um, trauma it would still be emotional but at this moment and of course Jamie has no idea when she falls into his arms literally sobbing I mean it's two things it's oh my gosh I found you which means I, I I know well because she heard from Lizzie well because of the because of the printer because of everything she knows her mom found him so that's no longer a question but the fact that he's there and she's like oh my gosh this man in the flesh all the things all the things all the things and then secondarily it's like yes I love my daddy daddy her Frank her her, her daddy is Frank her father is Frank yes I love him and yes I know he's gone and yes I know he's never replaceable but that was the last time I had and then my mom then when her mom left that was the last time that she was around or had someone who was there completely unconditionally loving her because I'm not saying Roger doesn't love her. I totally believe he does. But that's a lot. It's a, just a different kind of relationship. It just is. And he understands her, I think, mostly. He, I think as it's, it's legit. A lot of it is, I finally found you. Oh, my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. Yay. I've traveled all this way. All these things in this bucket of tears, right? Jamie understands only part of her weeping because... He doesn't know what happened to her the night before. So that's understandable. And he says, Dinna weep last, dinna weep, Alianen. Oh my gosh. And the Roger and Brie theme here is huge too. And I was like, dang it, Bear, you were trying to like kill us here. And then he says something that I can't understand. And then he says, It's all right. You'll have not seen your mother then? Christ, she'll be mad with joy. Now, honestly, Summer, because we did not get. They are reunited, obviously. In the book, she sees Jamie pretty much like this. But Claire is on the ridge. On the ridge? At the ridge? At the cabinet? On the ridge. And they go up together, much like they did here. But they meet Claire once they're at the cabin. So there's a there's, there's time in between those two things. So we don't... We get their reunion, but it's not, obviously, in front of our face. And it's not as dramatic. It's still dramatic, but it's not as... Like Jamie meets her, boom, and then Claire sees her, boom. It's not so all in one tight place. So as much as the Jamie and Bree meeting broke me, honestly, I think I was afraid Claire seeing her daughter, where she legit never expected her, would be more heartbreaking. That broke me a lot too. Like Claire's face. Think about it. Jamie never expected to see her and he accepted it. He, he would have loved to have seen her as a baby and he saw pictures of her and all that. But he his reaction was pure joy. He gets more nostalgic later in the episode, but his is pure joy. Claire left. I'm not saying abandoning, but Claire 
like, you know, gave birth to her, raised her. Claire knew her intimately and Claire left her time. And she still, I mean, legit, if she wanted to, it wouldn't be easy, but she was capable of going back through the stones, hopefully, if she survived it, to go see her again. So Claire had the ability, as far as we know, to return. Having something and then losing it or leaving it, I think would be a lot more difficult than never having had it at all. You know what I mean? And so while Jamie's and her, and people kept saying and different things, I can't wait for their reunion. I can't wait for their reunion. Like, uh uh-uh, that's not a reunion. Claire had a reunion with her. Jamie had a meeting. They had never met. You can't have a reunion if you haven't already known someone or met. So that's just a little bit, uh, just just language use there. But, oh gosh. So how did Claire's, how did that, how did that affect you? I mean, that super affected me just because Mm -hmm. the look of what am I seeing? Am I seeing this to the actual, oh, my God, my daughter is here. Why is she here? How is she here? There were so many things that happened on her face and everything else. It was just it was a lot for me. So what happens? Claire is leaving some shop. She's got a basket on her arm. Jamie calls out Sassanac and she turns around. She takes a beat. And then Brianna yells, Mama. Claire drops her basket and then Brie launches herself at her. So Brie quickly gets to the purpose. Okay, that's so that was the meeting right there. And um all of the all the thoughts, and I didn't even write down the music, so I was so in into it. So maybe there was no music. I don't remember. So Brie quickly gets to the point, to the purpose of her 200 year journey and tells her parents about the fire and the notice and their deaths she brought i was like holy dude she took a chance bringing that copy with her (laughs) seriously i was like that was a straight up photocopy right i was like that's a witch territory gracious i mean oh no you can't call that witch territory to bring a photocopy that just looked like a paper copy i mean it could have been something in the future it didn't look, but it wasn't from the future. It was it was dated from the past. Brianna's past, but that's still Jamie and Claire's future. Yes, that issue or publication hasn't been published yet. Oh my goodness! Like, but thank God she kept that hidden. So for now, she is going to go to Fraser's Ridge with them, and then she mentions Lizzie. And here, before they leave, we get Ian. He's so cute with her. I was like, okay, Ian, simmer down. I mean, he's not all up in her face or anything, but I was like. He's kind of he's kind of cute with her. And then they're back on that magical knot riverboat. And Lizzie quickly takes a shine to young Ian. It's adorable. So handsome. Yep. This I can't call the fact that a teenage girl takes a shine to someone. I can't call them scheming for that. I I don't. But She's again, and it, this is not about size at all, like or height, because again, she's she's not big. She's very she's very slender, but she's taller, taller than we expected. This is not attributable at all to her height. It's not impossible that that Lizzie in the book. I mean, Lizzie in the book may have taken a shine to Ian. I don't remember. I know she took a shine to several people uh, at different times, but definitely not this vocally, and definitely not this early. <laughs> So it's kind of entertaining. Did you like that? I did. It was adorable. So on the boat, Bree tells Claire of Roger following her. And yes, she's in love with him. And they're hand fast. Then they had a fight. 
quote, and now he's headed to Scotland and back to the stones, unquote. Geesh, girl, you're like, you're making all the assumptions. And she says, he sailed away this morning. It's my fault. Bree feels so much guilt over Roger and likely over Bonnet. She sees, she glances. Did you catch it? She glanced down at her mom's new ring and, uh, and she's got the old ring. It's like, this is interesting. <laughs> Young Ian then tells Bree about Stephen Bonnet attacking them on the river. Quote, I, he, he mentioned his Irish charm and then mentions that he stole her wedding ring too. So Brianna, right now, right here, knows about Bonnet and what happened to her parents and their boat and Ian. The music here is ominous. Uh, and I wrote, I don't think he did. Or maybe he tried to, even in like in a soothing manner. Um, I wrote, young Ian, don't touch her. Okay, near the end of young Ian's conversation with Brianna, the camera on Brianna is over young Ian's shoulder. I wrote, holy F me. Did you see the length of young Ian's? I wrote fishbone, but <laughs> it's a ponytail or a curly cue, whatever. Did you see how long his hair was? His hair is super long. Good Lord. And it's dark. It's not brown or anything, but I would say it's a very, very, very dark blonde. It's been some freaking time. They did a number on his hair. I like his wig. His hair is great. It's just like, wow. Uh, keeping him in a hat has definitely helped deflect from the color changes. <laughs> so Brianna will keep the ring a secret a bit longer. And then they transfer from the boat to a wagon and they're on the road to Fraser's Ridge. Ian and Brianna are in the wagon. Jamie and Claire on horseback. Of course, Lizzie is up in the wagon with them, I'm guessing. The news is disconcerting. They're talking about, of course, the news of the fire. They say, uh, basically, Claire says, well, we can make sure we're not in the house on the on the 21st or whatever it is of every year between here and then. Look, that's a small price to pay. One day a year? Come on. And uh, and then Jamie's like, let me throw some water on your plans. And that is, he says, we haven't had much luck changing history in the past. <laughs> For Thanks, real, Jamie. Though, they haven't. <gasps> no, they haven't. So as they approach, and this is where I'm going to get into what I was hinting at earlier, as they approach the ridge, we get all the ridge theme. Da, 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 I heard da, it. Da, da. I did hear the I did hear the Fraser's Ridge theme. Good. So what I was saying earlier when you said um the reason you got that huh, not the reason you like totally cried because that's legit. But um I was curious if you any of the part of the reason that you cried was the Ridge theme music. Uh not at that moment, but later for sure. Okay, so it wasn't maybe maybe it was con scene specific, but but the ridge theme kind of wrapped up or wrapped around whatever scene you were affected by, and it added to the to the to the emotional hit. Yeah. Okay. So as I said, as they approach, we get the ridge theme, and then major major mother father tear prick, like not even tear prick, like tears. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The Roger and Brie theme is over the Ridge theme. I said it a few episodes ago. This 
I think I said it in Down the Rabbit Hole. This is, I, in my opinion, Bear's best season. I thought season one was amazing. I, I loved all of his music. I own all the soundtracks. There's no like question. I'll buy it. Take my money. But the way, not just the new theme or themes we're getting, but the way he interlaces them and, and um, layers them is just holy. And it's not just like, oh, that's neat. I recognize it. It's like the emotional impact. Seriously, the love theme hasn't impacted me like this. It hasn't. It's pretty. I recognize it. I mean, Jamie and Claire, of course. The Dance of the Druids sometimes affects me. Faith, freaking every time. Because we get it so infrequent. I think we had it like what, twice, maximum three times over two years. Season two and three. Nothing has affected me, I don't think, like the Roger and Bree theme. And then the fact that he interweaves it or layers it with the Druid theme. He layers it with... The Jamie and Claire theme. He layers it with Fraser's Ridge theme. Are you kidding me? It breaks my heart. And that to me, the stuff we're watching is already uh, as a book reader. You're like, so I am so emotional just seeing it brought to life. Number one. And then you get like the actual scene that's in front of your eyeballs. It may or may not make you cry. Number two. And then this music it's like, oh, I can't even handle it. I can't even handle it. So holy dudes. So as they approach, they hear the ridge. And then we get Roger and Bree over the ridge theme. And then we get to the cabin and Murta, <laughs> Murta ha- is there. He's laying low, which is smart. And he had arrived the night before. So he must have left like literally the day before or very soon after, um, after the whole uh, he theater. Said, he or- said he arrived the day before they showed up. And I don't know how much of a day's, how many days journey it was for everyone else to arrive. I think, well, what I believe, and I could be totally wrong, is that it took Myrta as long as it took them, or approximately, because when Brianna reunites with Claire and meets Jamie, right, within like five minutes of each other, when they have that meeting, the theater was the night before, which means Myrta would not have had too much lead time because Myrta's set up trap place... <laughs> <laughs> was also the night before. So Myrta probably left like right away, but Jamie and Claire probably didn't leave that same day. My guess is they got provisions. They, they may have said one more night. They may have left that day, but however long it took, it was about, about the same amount of time for both because even if they left like legit the night before and then the next day, I mean, that would work too because Murta, if he left a day early, he arrived a day early. So either way, that doesn't matter. It's just interesting. But he arrived the night before and he says, uh, Jamie reminds him, look, Murta, I've got land here whenever you're ready. And then he introduces Murta to Brianna. And he says, what took you so long, lass? Oh, that brought a tear prick too. At the dinner table. Lots of Lallybrock memories, lots of, uh, we get, um, we, we hear, we learn that Fergus and Marsley, oh, I said it right. I didn't say it right. I said it adaptation right. Uh, plan to move in the spring. So that's something to look forward to. But isn't it spring soon because of those baby birds? That's what I'm saying. It's all kinds of like mixed signals here. Jenny wants Ian, uh, Brianna is sharing relaying messages from Lallebach. Jenny wants Ian to write more. Jamie then tells a story of the first girl who kissed him. Her name is Tabitha and they called her Tibbs. So 
On the one hand, it's good to include Brie in the family by telling her childhood stories of Jamie. But things that have, and I know no one in the room but Brie and Lizzie know this. So I'm not blaming. I'm just like, oh, how, how uncomfortable. Even though it was just kissing, it still had to do with birds and the bees-ish and, and, and girls and boys. And so hearing this type of story when she's still recovering from <laughs> the things she's kept in, that's got to be rough, right? So she's she's a little bit not having it right now. And Claire notices this. So after Claire tells her that she met George Washington, and Claire said when they were when she was at the theater with Jamie that that Brianna would would be would freak out. She'd have all kinds of questions, right? As soon as she tells her here, Brianna says, that's amazing. And then she says she's too tired and wants to go to bed. So this is where Maybe earlier, but this specifically is where we see maybe the next morning. We don't really get a, an exact time frame, but it's a it's a morning and that was a night. So maybe the next morning. Did you see when the scene started? Um, Claire's working with the herbs and they have all these hanging dried gourds. <laughs> I thought it was. Oh, I did. That's they, cute. Look, they look like birdhouses, don't they? They did. It was really pretty. That was outside before they go inside. And Claire is kind of working with herbs and pulling some down. And she tells Brie that Lizzie could have malaria, you know, if it's if she understands the symptoms correctly. And she goes, Jesuit bark should help. Well, that comes back too. this Jesuit bark is like no joke. It's expensive and not easy to get from what I remember. And then Brie spills to Claire that Frank knew that she'd come back. And she tells her about the obituary she'd seen years ago. Now, Claire has to digest this. Does she ever digest this in the book? I don't think, I don't know that we have that. I know this exact scene doesn't happen. Does she ever find out that, that Frank knew she went back? But Bree's fine with her. She says, I see why you had to come back to Jamie. Bree accidentally knocks a basket of things off the table and freaks out. And Claire, sensing that not everything is okay, but thinking it's all about Roger, says, you can talk to me about Roger. And right here, again, the Roger and Bree theme. Bree says, nope, nope, it's too late now. She's like, I can't, there's nothing to do. He's gone to Scotland and back to the future. It's not like I can phone him. Meanwhile, on a ship in Philadelphia, I thought this was a really clever adaptation because Oh my gosh, if they didn't end up giving Roger gems. <laughs> oh, that would have I been I mean, that would have been bad. a choice. It would have been a choice for sure to not give him gems. I mean, if they didn't, it was a clear choice to not give him gems. That's what I'm saying. No. Well, I think it was a choice to make the adaptation as they did, and I thought it was actually very clever that that they had the offer, not the offer, that the gems still come from the same source, but rather than being stolen, they are offered as salary. I thought that was a very clever and um, a very good way of, uh, since he wasn't going on his hunt, it was a good way of, of getting them. Back to the ridge. The next morning or some morning, we get the ridge theme. This is one of those day in the life on the ridge scenes we get. We, we got, a, I think, one here in this episode. It's happy, happy farm time. And it makes me so happy. I say that word over and over again. Brie is making herself at home. She's finally in Breeks. That makes me so happy when she's like, I think she's with 
Murtaugh, but it could be her mom. But she's in the water. Isn't she with Murtaugh? She's picking something up. And then later on, I think she's back in a dress. She's churning butter. And Claire's watching her and she knows her daughter. She knows something is off and she's seeing changes in her. Okay, Summer, we need, just like we accidentally came up with Grange mm-hmm. for a coincidence of Gabaldonian proportions. Okay. We need, now an on purpose, not an accidental, we need a hashtag or a phrase that doesn't use the words what Frank knew, but that means or triggers what Frank knew. Because we've been saying this a lot and from here on out, I don't think we're never, I, don't, I think we're not going to get away from it. Okay. So for now, we'll call it what Frank knew. And I don't, I'm not saying we come up with something cutesy like Grange because that was on accident and that's what makes it so amazing. But we can definitely come up with like, well, no, that's not the same thing. Anyway, a lot of people come up with really clever things. If you guys have something clever for what Frank knew, send it our way. Email, social media, private message, anything. So for now, I will just continue to say what Frank knew. So Frank taught Bree how to shoot. Like a marksman. Better than Jamie in that sequence. Right? Quote. And he's like, how did you learn this? Like, oh, my my father told me. Quote. He and I would camp out and he taught me to shoot. Is that it, Pri? Because so far, it's not I see. I see that the rotter. The rotters. Those darn rotters. I see that the writers are not hiding things necessarily. They're just letting it out. I guess little by little. Um, it's not that there's a million things to let out. There, it, it really is just like a collection of things. She knows how to shoot. She knows how to ride. She um, can do a little bit of, I guess, survival technique, right? I don't know if the survival stuff, I think they could have done a lot more with the survival stuff in on her, on her walk through the dungle. But she had matches, which, uh, dude, don't, if you don't, if you can take matches, do it. So I, I'm not throwing shade for bringing matches, but it just didn't seem that we got evidence because anyone can use matches. You know what I mean? But I guess it doesn't mean you'll get a fire, whatever. But to me, matches don't equal survival necessarily. But her riding a horse so well, her knowing how to shoot, we are finally being let in onto what a little bit of what Frank knew. And I, without... And we, we don't know a ton. That's why what Frank knew is so exciting. And we're going to discover it together. Now, Summer, you tell me if this is too far to go. One of the things that we were not able to say before, but that we kind of alluded to regarding what Frank knew was that he, some of the things he taught Brianna. Now that the series has shown us this specifically, they haven't pointed out her writing. We haven't seen her on a horse really yet, right? She's been in a wagon, um, she's been shooting now. So shooting really is the first thing we've seen with um, proof and not only the evidence of it, but her stating that he taught me. So she said, we go camping and he taught me to shoot. So I don't think it's too much to say to connect a few dots now. So what Frank knew includes a lot of things. Most of the stuff we don't know what that is because Diana hasn't let that go. And that's why it's so amazingly interesting. But some of the stuff we know that the show has released or (laughs) announced is that Frank knew that Claire went back. So the question was, 
And now I'm curious because I don't think she was that much younger. But the question is when he knew or had an inkling she went back. I don't think it was when he got the Gazette because if she learned how to shoot, I don't think it was like in the last year before he died. I think it was, you know, when she was a little bit younger. That's just my guess. But yeah, so now that the show has let that out, we can connect a few dots. So he, knowing something, one of the things that Frank knew, uh, which we, we may not know the detail he knew, but something that he knew or some things that he knew or suspected caused him to teach Brianna how to shoot. I feel like the way they are skewing this experience as opposed to the way that book readers, book readers experienced it, I feel like they are leading us to that eventuality. Yes. Yes. I, I don't disagree. I think because, yeah. So you think they're going to be, they're going to let us know in the series a little bit more, a little sooner than book readers They've had to wait. already made it clear that Frank knew she went back. They've made it clear that he had that obituary and she found it and she'd forgotten about it until she went back looking for it later. So they made it clear that he had prior knowledge of Claire going back in time before she went back, which skews everything. And if you link it back to you filled in the knowledge that I had forgotten, that he penned that first note to the reverend while Claire was still pregnant. Yep. Uh, he started it, but he didn't know about her going back then. No, 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 no. But he started his research by asking the reverend to start looking into something. Yes. Yes. Uh, and that's what I find. So so the two, just if in case I'm not clear, the dots I'm connecting are what Frank knew, which, well, all we know right now that he knew was that she went back in, because he had that one document. I don't know that that one document was what, <laughs> spurned him on to teach Bree how to shoot and camp and all that mm-hmm. because I don't think that he did it like in the last year of his life I could be wrong but I don't think it was that late so there's so much more it was cumulative because if the time exactly if the time he discovered she went back was when he got that obituary that was like right before his death that was not nearly enough time yeah. to teach her to do anything so the obituary I think and this is what I'm guessing I'm guessing the obituary was like the final nail in the coffin of a suspicion that evidence was pointing more and more toward. And when when Frank has suspicions or evidence that points towards something, but is not necessarily proof yet, I think he started doing things in case it came out to be true. And part of doing things was, is it too early? Is it too much of a spoiler to say Part of that preparation was prepping Brie. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, I think it's safe to say because just, I think we don't want to say anything more, but I think that's safe to say. Okay. So they have a delivery wagon there. So they got, they got something and uh, they're unloading it. Oh, it must've been some of the whiskey that they brought in because they didn't really explain that. But the, the guys are all drinking this, not quite whiskey alcohol yet. And they offer her um, a tankard or a little bit in a, in a cup. And she says, everyone always just calls me Brie. Now this takes on a life of its own. 
<laughs> yes. Later in bed, pillow talk, Jamie tells Claire what it means. It means a disturbance. And uh, she goes, you know, you can tell her she's not some fragile piece of glass that can break, you know, break, you know. Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't want to hurt the last. She's clearly heartsick over this. Roger, I can how she feels. She's something. Yes and no. (laughs) Well, actually, yes and yes. (laughs) So I take it back. So they're tiptoeing around each other, talking around Frank. She suggests he take her hunting with him. Now, in case I'm not sure, Summer, that I put it in here, so I'm going to ask you now. (sighs) Do you think once, at the end of this episode, Jamie knows she's pregnant and was raped? Got it? I mean, right? Yes. Okay. Do you think in a coming episode that they're going to have any form, any form of the scene between him and Brianna? I think that's later. Where he tries to overpower her? I think it's later. Because they they totally alluded to it in the beginning when she said, I didn't fight hard enough. I didn't I didn't do more. And Claire But you was think just, they're gonna have it? I think it I think with that lead up, it could absolutely happen. It could happen. I don't know how they're going to adapt it away. They could also do that, but they could absolutely have given you a clue. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just curious. So Jamie wakes Brianna up early the next morning before dawn to go hunting for bees and he notices that she smiles in her sleep like he is told he does the music here is the ridge theme with a touch of roger and Bree theme. oh my gosh the combination of these two boy and she's wearing breeks again it just makes me so happy he gives her a little gaelic lesson he says that Alianen means my darling and another word, which is the one I couldn't pronounce or uh, find. I, I found a version of this, but it wasn't what I heard. So I didn't even type it. But the other word is blessing. He, so he calls her interchangeably, my darling and blessing. She draws his attention to a bald eagle as it's like there's another bird, right? And doesn't even reference it. Meaning, not that we needed it, but... I'm, I'm, I know she had a lot of things on her mind, but I'm curious why they, or maybe they had it and they cut it, but I'm I'm just curious why she doesn't say something like, you know, that bird, that that's a bald eagle. It's the, that's the future national emblem, the national, uh, bird, the national animal for the, for the, for this, for this country, but it's not needed, but it was, it was definitely, uh, not lacking, but I notice it not being there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if nothing else, it's another bird. And again, birds and bees. So he explains to her uh, about the bees, how they gather honey, etc., and how to find their hives. And it makes me wonders, <laughs> makes me wonders. <laughs> Tell me about your wonders. My one, no, my, my wonders are off limits. It makes me wonder if those flowers, so not the flowers that you're talking about that you saw in the I opening feel like title the card. yellow ones they planted in a fake forest. Legit. I wrote this. Makes me wonder if those flowers planted are fake. LOL. It was a little bit too, too grange. They were so They found one little meadow with perfect flowers. And they were so grouped together in a strange way. Yeah. So he tells her how he'll move the hive, blow smoke to stun them, and then they'll wrap it up and take it home. Quote, they won't realize they aren't in their proper place, unquote. 
And I wrote, oh, Brie, my heart breaks. But that was straight up with him saying, I want you to stay. I know you're not in your proper place, but this could be your new place. It was it was awkward and loving all at the same time. Yep. Absolutely. And she says, and again, her the way he is talking to her about the bees, you could substitute him talking to her about her. The way she is asking questions about the bees, you could substitute she's asking question, him questions about her. She says, what will they do about it? They have no means to find their way back and no home left to come back to. Unquote. That's you, Brianna. That's me, not him. He assures her, oh, they'll be content in their new home. She says, they have a home. And then Jamie comes out. He's like, look, he has no intent to displace her father, her true father, her her, the man who raised her. He is grateful to Frank for raising her. Not, we don't get quite a Frank's theme. I listened hard for it. I didn't hear one. He says, quote, I had to give you back. I had to give you to him, though I cannot say I'm sorry you came back to me, unquote. And she says, sure, I'm not a Brie. Disturbance, huh? Myrta told me. Very cute. And he says, I, you are as was your mother before you, but you're one I welcome. You're my flesh and blood. Since you returned to me, I'm finding you're my heart and soul as well. And he says, I will keep calling you Brie if you didn't mind it. And right here again, the Roger and Brie theme. And she says, I don't know what to call you. And he says, you can call me Da. Is that Gaelic? She asks. And he says, nah, it's only simple. People, there is so much goodness from the book in this episode. It is, again, like I said, the second you get Matt and Tony, you're going to get a crap ton of stuff like dialogue from the book and you're going to get a shiznut ton of tears. Oof. So they find their bees. They arrive back at the cabin near dusk and they enjoy honey and stuff. And I'm guessing Myrta's gone by now because I only saw... I only saw Jamie, Claire, and Brianna there. Later, Jamie can't sleep. He's happy Bree's there. And he, he and Claire are chatting. And he says, must we lose her? I don't want her to return to her own time, Sassanac. But Claire knows... Ooh, this was a hard one, too. Claire knows better. She belongs in her own time. Quote, She belongs back in her own time. Safer there more opportunities for her, unquote. And then we get the, the Jamie and Claire love theme. Jamie says, she's a gift from me to you and you to me. The love theme is all over this. And he says, he's very tickled that she called him Da. Then we get to the, the little scene or the little um, vision, the little capture of a robin feeding her babies. I'm like, can we get even more symbolic? We've got spring and fertility and birds and bees and Brie and Bebe and, oh, we're not told yet, but we're getting there. So Brie is a fashing. Lizzie wants to talk to her. Quote, I thought I heard you crying in the night. Apparently she's been having bad dreams and she assures Lizzie she's fine. She says, leave me alone, Lizzie. 
And then Lizzie's like, okay, if you didn't mind, I'll be going with Ian to the mill today. Of course, she's sweet on him. And Bree says that she'll be picking herbs with Claire. And Lizzie says, see you tomorrow. So she's with Claire. They're doing the herb thing. Claire says she knows there's something else going on besides her missing Roger. And boom. Just like in the book, there's like no warnings. She asks, how far along are you? (laughs) She's two months gone. No, Roger doesn't know. But the problem is it may not be Rogers. And you get a little bit of ominous music here. And Claire does very well. Yes, she's a mother, but she's also a physician. She has she does very well as a mother and as a physician of keeping her voice calm and her face still. And she says, okay, whose might it be? Whose is it? <laughs> Bree doesn't want to tell her who. She says, there was this man at the Willow Tree Tavern. He started talking and then I didn't fight him. And she's reliving it. Now, I wonder if Summer, oh, this is where I wrote, this is where I wrote it. I wonder if they'll have a scene with Jamie where he tries to overpower her. It would be very powerful and disturbing, but it's what shook Brie out of her blaming herself. That'll be no sooner than next week. That'll be the earliest that will happen. Oh, yeah, because she's pretty far along in the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So what breaks your heart here is not just that she's confiding to her mother about the rape, but that she's still feeling like she has to keep some of it in to protect her parents. Claire asks how certain she is about the baby not being Rogers. And we learn what he didn't do. Thanks, production. I guess they kept that part from the book. (laughs) Yeah, but they didn't use my favorite line, which is, you know what they call people who use that particular type of protection? Parents. Right? I know. I'm like, that's pretty funny. Maybe she didn't, maybe it was a very light moment, but yeah. She tells her it happened the same night and that just breaks Claire. It's the worst because she's imagining all the things. Like, think about it. Claire's a very earthy woman. She's very in touch with her own personal sexuality. And to not only have her daughter be violated in such a way, but to have her violated on the same night she is like indoctrinated into womanhood. You know what I mean? It's her first time and it's always going to be colored with the violence of her second Mm -hmm. time. Claire, later on, Claire tells Jamie about the rape. In Wilmington, she says it was right after Roger left and she shares about her pregnancy. The next day, oh my gosh, this was so hard. This was so hard because in the book, let's just talk about the book first. When Roger comes to the ridge, which he did in the book, in the show. There's, it's a, it's not long, but it's much longer, much longer conversation. It's not even really a conversation in the adaptation and I'm not dogging it. I think it was fine, but this, I think even made it that much, that much worse. In the book, he's coming up the ridge. Jamie is with Ian. They come across him and Ian asks, about Brianna and they ask him some questions and, or he asks him if you know about Fraser's Ridge, all the things back and forth. And it comes out. I mean, yes, he legit says this. Uh, Jamie's asking certain questions and he says, 
he literally asks him, did you take her maidenhead? And Roger's like, um, he's like, we're hand fast. So actually they share more information or exchange information in the book in this series. Oh, summer. This is what I wrote next day. Happy go lucky. Roger has come after Brie. He is on the Ridge. Their love theme. You get one little peek at him first and it's their love theme. It is, it is all positivity and, and roses and, and, and beautiful. And you're so happy. And we see young Ian and Lizzie are also returning from the, the trip to the mill. And they see Roger. Lizzie freaks out and tells Ian it's him. Another scene, we switch to Claire is going to collect the washing from the shelter. And her first wedding ring from Jamie drops out of some of the clothes. We, ha- we hear dissonance and she realizes, oh my gosh, the man who raped my daughter was Bonnet. Ian and Lizzie, okay, flash over to Ian and Lizzie. They rush to find Jamie. This is where... This is what we're talking about when we've thrown all the shade at Lizzie. Uh, the second half of DOA and the rest of the series of this season. Lizzie tells Jamie about the man, quote, at Wilmington, a brute of a man he was. Brianna was afraid of him. He came close to her and held her by the arms, took her away with him. Continued. Quote, she didn't return night or dawn. She had bruises on her nose, bruises and her nose was bleeding and there was blood on her petticoats and they could smell him on her, his seed, unquote. Okay. Did we need to keep the smell? Isn't the blood in the petticoats enough? Oh, whatever. But they kept it. That's a lot. So she continues because she has to tell the world everything. Quote, she was a virgin when he took her. I am her maid. I saw the blood. And now he's coming after her. Unquote. She says she's sure it's the same man. Jamie tells her to go to the cabin and to not tell Claire or Brianna anything. Ian goes with him. And just before Lizzie obeys and leaves to go back to the cabin, says, Blessed Mother, what have I done? Exactly. You live with that, Lizzie. You live with that. Claire, fresh with the ring, Walks out, sees Brianna, confronts her with it. She says, Stephen Bonnet. And Brianna confirms it was him. Bree says she couldn't tell her about Bonnet because Ian told her what happened to them on the river. She couldn't risk Jamie going after him. She asks Claire to keep it to herself. Meanwhile, Roger literally only gets a few words out of his mouth. He says, good day, sir. Could you tell me if Fraser's Ridge... And he doesn't finish it. And he is just smacked, punched across the face. Jamie takes him down. And by the time he's done, Roger's face is almost unrecognizable. Full disclosure. If Jamie Fraser and our Sam Hewen playing Jamie Fraser was across a glen from me, or even just an open space in the woods, looking at me with the I'm going to kill you face, as he's stalking across, you get back across on your the horse. meadow to me. You get back on your horse. You don't say, "Oh, good day, sir." Yeah, I mean, God bless Roger for his belief that all all men mean well. But he should have gotten back on his horse and like rode out the area for sure. Damn you, Lizzie. Young Ian comes up at this point 
with Rolo. We saw we saw a decent amount of Rolo this episode, I gotta say. Tells him that someone's coming. They pull Roger into more cover. And then Jamie tells Ian, get rid of him. I don't care. Just get him out of my sight. And the episode ends. Oh my gosh. We're we're going there. We're going there. That's all we can say. We can't really comment on that. <laughs> Cause that that be spoiler zone. But what did you think, Summer? I mean, I know you cried. I cried. Everybody, we all cried for ice cream. I mean, ooh. I mean, I felt bad for Roger's face at the end, but that was not any of the moments that made me cry. No, I don't mean that. I mean, overall, at the episode, you really were a fan? Overall, I thought it was an awesome episode. They did a lot of things in the course of an hour, Mm -hmm. and they made a lot of time passage happen, which I thought was necessary given how little time passed in the last episode and perhaps the preceding ones. So given the fact that they are trying to cover a bunch of stuff in the rest of the season, and they only have, that was what, 209, so they have four more episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. So they have the rest of the book to cover in four more episodes. I've read the books. There's a lot between now and four episodes from now. So they have a lot to a lot to cover. If they treat the next four episodes as they did this one in episode one, meaning get through a ton, they can do it. And they can do it well with the emotional reaction without feeling like you're going they can they can however this particular episode lent itself to time passage because nothing happened while she was chilling on fraser's ridge however in the other episodes when other things are happening you can't just be like she just chilled on fraser's ridge for two months Mm -hmm. you know what i mean there's a lot of stuff that happens on off screen on screen on page off page between now and the end of the book. So they have a lot. They still have a lot to do. The most important things happen at or near around when she gives birth. I don't think that's too big of a spoiler. So you guys need to send us in your feedback for episode 409, The Birds and the Bees. Our next episode is entitled The Deep Heart's Core. Okay, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. Send in your feedback. You can record a uh, 90-second or less feedback recording on your phone and email it to us at hello at outlanderpod.com. Or you can call our listener line at 916-587-0763 and leave us a voicemail. We can't wait to include you in our next episode. Thank you, as always, so much for listening. We look forward to our next episode. Thank you to our generous partner, Zencaster, who offers high-fidelity podcasting. Check out Zencaster and use coupon code OUTLANDER20. Outlander 20 for 20% off three months or 20% off for a year. Connect with us. Visit our website at outlanderpod.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash outlanderpod. We'd love for you to join our Facebook community at outlanderpod.com slash group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at outlanderpod.